Hello guys and welcome to a new series from the Usri Network right here on the free Miscalculations podcast feed. If you're late to the party, despite its kind of silly name, get it? Miscalculations? Like Mississippi? Because anyway, despite that, it is the somewhat more serious side of the Usnet. I'm Jason Lee Usri. And I asked, I hate that word, asked. Anybody out there who says axed, I'm with you. I'm Jason Leusry, and I axed my friend Justin Brock, who is very sharp and always has an interesting take on the news of the day, to do this series with me every week. And we start things, episode one, with some rather intense topics in the headlines, including a 15-year-old carjacker, and the moving of a Confederate statue on the campus of Ole Miss. Some of what Justin says, you'll disagree with it, a lot with which I'm sure you will nod your head in agreement. But either way, I think you'll confess that his arguments are thoughtful and reasonable. All right, here we go. Miscalculation, an Usri Network gimmick presents for those about to rock. Justin, how are you today? Wonderful. How are you? That's preposterous. What a preposterous idea. (laughs) All right, our first story comes from WLBT. A 12-year-old boy is fighting for his life after half a dozen dogs believed to be pit bulls mauled him in Winona. According to Montgomery County Sheriff Bubba Nix, the vicious attack happened Friday afternoon. Aiden Green was riding his bike along Sawyer Road when the pack of dogs mauled him. A passerby and his son, who saw the attack, quickly got out of their car and fought the dogs off. Green was airlifted to Jackson, where he is currently in the intensive care unit. Sheriff Nix said the child has a long road to recovery. The owner of the animals will not face charges because the county does not have a dog ordinance, according to Sheriff Nix. All dogs, all six of them, have been euthanized. I tell you, as the father of a 12-year-old, this one really got to me. So first question, Justin. The report says, believed to be pit bulls. And it seems people are either resolved to consider pit bulls very dangerous animals or people militantly fight against this idea that all pit bulls should be treated as dangerous animals. Do you believe all this breed should be judged by occurrences like this one? And if so, what should be done about that? That's a tough one. I mean, I have an eight-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter, um, and so... It's it's great to try to think about these stories unemotionally, um, but it's really impossible because you would be a complete hypocrite when the roles were reversed. So, um, you know, I have dogs. I don't have pit bulls or any real aggressive breed of dog. Um, my dogs do get out sometimes. Thankfully, Finn is about 13 pounds, and I don't think uh, – he could hurt anyone, but, you know, you never know, uh, you know, some, 
we we all have these emotional bonds, especially some people have extreme emotional bonds with their dogs. A lot of friends I have that have no kids almost view their dogs like their kids. You know, um, it's that's it's a it's really a tough thing to think about because, um, you know, I don't have an affinity for a pit bull or or uh, any. Uh, of these breeds, I, I had my dad. I know when was, he was a kid was attacked by a Doberman and bit in the face. So his whole life he's had this anti-Doberman you know aspect. But then I've had friends who've had Dobermans that were some of the most well-behaved dogs I've ever seen. Um, and then I've had um, uh, there's there's pit bulls always kind of surface for this reason. And then. Uh, but uh, there have been other breeds that semi-surface from time to time for this too, like uh, St. Bernard's even, it was like, which is Beethoven, you know, um, Chow Chows and uh, all these different dogs. So it's, it's uh, and, and I think it's an unfortunate event. I do think, first of all, owners have to be held accountable. You know, this is an obscene amount of dogs to just be running around loose. And I think that any breed of dog under the right circumstance and in a pack like that could act in this way. So I think that, first of all, yes, someone should be held accountable. Um, can they legally hold him accountable, I think, is the problem here. If there's no ordinance and there's no law, then they can't charge him with anything. I doubt that the sheriff's department or uh, the local officials don't want to charge someone with it. Uh, I think they're probably just being held by legalities. So this is one of those stories that should change the law completely for that area. Um, my brother-in-law is a lawyer, and I know that his wife, my stepsister, when she lived in South Carolina, was bit by a dog um, while she was house-sitting. And there, um, the dog was euthanized for first first attack, you know, type of thing. But from what he said in, in the past, even in the entire state of Mississippi, there, uh, I think there's typically a two-bite rule or something like that. Now, I may be completely off here, but I have— It was that way for me. Yeah, exactly. So, so basically you can you know, aggravate an assault one time, just not twice. No, but, but for dogs, apparently there is like a forgiveness thing here So you know, for the first time. Obviously, in this situation, I think they just found it best to put them down regardless of what the law was. This is pretty heinous. Um, but, yeah, there definitely should be some, some stricter responsibility. I mean, just like you're, you should be responsible for your children, you should be responsible for your dogs, you're responsible for all your possessions, and I do believe in a world where we preach and teach and hold accountable more and more personal responsibility for anything that you own or control. So definitely needs to be a responsibility here. As far as the breed itself, you know, that's pretty hard to say that there's an animal that exists that's, you know, created by God or evolution or whatever you believe in that that the world can't live with. So I think that it's probably more circumstance and I think that these dogs are capable of a lot and then they're put under uh, they're more often, as a breed, put under circumstance that leads to them to evolve to these more uh, vicious, ruthless creatures. You know, it, but dogs in general just have a a nature to them, uh, and this kind of gets off on a tangent. But there was a story somebody told me about a year ago. There was somebody that had a Doberman in uh, in Tupelo, and they were walking somewhere in town. I want to say like off 
off uh, by Ballard Park, and uh, and there was a the dog had smelled an area where an animal had died, and this his owner uh, tripped over his leash and fell where that animal that area of where that animal was, and instinctively this is a dog she had had for years and walked all the time, and he ended up attacking her, and you know bruised her and bit her up pretty badly, so. There's some instincts that dogs have that we just have to, you know, we're, we're responsible for. All right, next item is also from LBT. I was kind of stunned by this. Jackson police have arrested a 15-year-old for his involvement in an armed carjacking that happened on Lakeover Road. Investigators have charged 15-year-old Frederica Bronson Jr. with two counts of armed robbery of an individual and one count of armed carjacking. Bronson has been charged as an adult. He remains in custody and is awaiting his initial court appearance. 27-year-old Audrana Champion was arrested and charged for her alleged involvement in the incident that happened March 8th, where a red Ford pickup truck was taken from a couple along with some personal items. Now, not to make light of this too much, but the boy already has an uphill battle in life with the name Frederica. This was a case of a young person being intimately steered in the wrong direction by an adult in terms of criminal behavior. But to see crimes like this seemingly committed by younger and younger individuals, is there a way to combat what the Gulfport chief of police calls the criminal subculture in Mississippi and elsewhere? Accountability is is a must. I mean, he has to be uh, held accountable. Say that he was led by an adult person, you know, an adult to do these things. Um, but I don't know what his capability was without that adult leading him to do those things. Um, and, you know, it'd be hard to speculate as to what what his capability is. But if you take him and you put him in adult prison, he's going to become worse, most likely, because that's just the prison culture. You know, they have to become worse to survive there. Um, if you put him in a juvenile facility, then he's probably going to influence the younger people into being worse that are there. So, you know, it's like a bad thing all the way around. There's not any long-term solution uh, other than the the very small chance that through our justice system, he somehow gets the right mentor in prison. Uh, and, and I think that I think that's why criminal justice reform always continues to be this uh, hot topic around elections all the way up to the presidency because right now you can say, you know, you, we, can, we can say everyone has to be held extremely accountable, but the more people we put in prison for things, the worse they become typically because we're creating more of a criminal class right there. And that's not to say they, you can't put them in prison. Because you got to do something to them when they mess up. But it's almost like the prison system itself has to adapt and evolve, much like we we're kind of pressuring our education system to do right now. It has to adapt to not be archaic and become a, a place where I can take somebody who's committed, you know, like a 15-year-old that commits a, a violent crime has to be held accountable. But surely we could think, a 15-year-old is salvageable. And we have a criminal justice system that puts these people in there with these violent, 
gang members that really are terrible people that are turning someone who was led astray or um, might just be a dumb kid that didn't have all the same opportunity as somebody else. And even sometimes uh, what, you, I guess, quote-unquote privileged youth could grow up in a situation where they end up making a mistake and going to the – so that it could happen to anybody. So anybody that takes a hard stance against young people making mistakes, let's throw them in prison with the bad guys, um, should think, like, that could be your eight, you know, 15-year-old, 16-, 17-year-old son. Nobody's exempt from making a huge mistake in their youth. Like, it's like saying uh, with the education system. education system um, was created with this huge summer because back in the day the sharecroppers needed their children to stay at home during the summer to help harvest the crop. Yeah. Um, and now they just basically get two, two months off every year to lollygag. <laughs> so, you know, there's things that, you know, just because they were a certain way before doesn't mean that makes sense to be that way now. Um, and, you know, so I, I think we, we should evolve. And just like the mental health uh, industry continues to, to evolve now, but, yeah, like uh, some of the stories you would hear of in the 60s and 70s with the things they were doing to people who were mentally ill, it was almost like they would use them uh, to run experiments on and stuff, you know. Guys, I'm interrupting for a minute to tell you about a couple things. If you dig this whole concept of staying up to date on what's happening in your hood of Mississippi by way of straightforward and concise commentary, you can get the complete service by taking two little steps. The first is to subscribe to this free Miscalculations podcast feed. While you're at it, we'd very much appreciate a positive rating and review. Those things help tremendously. The second step is becoming an Usri Network Premium subscriber. For just a few bucks a month, For Those About to Brock is supplemented by my show, Serious Sip. So between myself and Justin, we cover all the importante stories unfolding in the old Magnolia. Here's a little snippet from episode one for you. The chief of police there, Leonard Papania, called a sort of town meeting to discuss it. He told residents he just doesn't know how much police are going to be able to do without the help of the community. You guys have heard me be critical of this attitude before. It pisses me off. You ever go to the grocery store and walk up to the manager? Excuse me, could you tell me where to find the spices, please? Uh, not sure. Oh, okay. Who else should I ask? Look, we got a lot of groceries coming in here and a lot to keep up with. I just don't see how we're going to keep it organized without help from you customers. Ball's in your court. Now, that's probably never happened because grocery managers on down understand what their job is to subscribe you can visit usrenetwork.com and click premium trip or just check the show notes included with this program you'll find a direct link there now not only will you get the serious sip program you'll get other premium exclusives like original dramatic series profits point some ridiculous sip based comedy early releases of true crime investigations, and so much more. I hope to see you there soon. The other thing I wanted to tell you about, Justin Brock isn't just a dude who talks on podcasts. That would be me. He is also known as the Medicare Guru. He's Vice President of Sales at Brock and Credle Insurance. 
that's located in the North SIP. But if you are anywhere in the SIP and want to talk insurance coverage, health, life, especially those under 65, you need to give Justin a call. I think it comes across on this show that he's a man of integrity and he will do everything he can to get you what you need in the way that makes sense for you. You can find Brock and Credle Insurance on Facebook. You can just Google it. Credle is spelled C-R-E-D-I-L-L-E. Or visit BobbyBrockInsurance.com. Hey, better yet, just check those show notes. I'll put a link there for you. We'll keep it simple. Now, back to Brock. Okay, just one more story, but it is a big one. WTVA has the report out of Oxford. The Ole Miss Associated Student Body Senate voted to recommend the relocation of a Confederate statue during a meeting Tuesday night. The statue is located in the center of campus on the circle and has been the center of debate in the last few weeks among those for and against Confederate symbols. In a resolution passed unanimously, it was recommended that the Confederate statue be moved from its current location to the Confederate Cemetery on campus. This location is near the Tad Smith Coliseum, also known as the former basketball stadium. Last Thursday, the ASB Senate resolution passed the ASB Rules Committee. The resolution states the Confederate ideology, quote, violates the tenets of the university creed, unquote, and the monument's current placement on the circle undermines the school's mission, quote, to maintain an inclusive and safe environment, unquote, and that, in particular, is from the Daily Mississippian. First, Justin, let's get your thoughts on the bigger issue here, which is the continued existence of Confederate monuments in the SIP. Of course, some say these statues and whatnot are important historically and should remain as a part of our heritage. Some others say they are reminders of the state's prior racial divide. They represent racism and our altogether checkered past, and they should be removed. Your take. I have I have a very um, firm opinion that kind of dances on the line on this, but uh, this newest re- revelation in this to me was the other day when the article came out that they made um, Medgar Evers' home became a uh, historical monument or a national monument. Um, And then I saw on Facebook the comments um, comparing the moving of the statue uh, to that. And so what they were saying was they were saying that because this this, this Medgar Evers home became a monument. Um, uh, why are they moving? The, like basically saying they're the same thing. Well, I would have to say that if you find, I have to hit on that because it just yeah. it resonated with me. The Medgar Evers monument should not be controversial to anyone. I mean, there, he, it just shouldn't be. Whether or not the Confederate statues are uh, are. Uh, controversial to people is another topic, but the Medgar Evers home cannot be controversial. So in comparison, it's a great thing that that became a, a monument. It should have. He was a great man. It shouldn't be controversial to anyone. I would urge anyone who hasn't thought that through to not compare the two. Um, if you wanted to argue 
back on the premise of whether the Confederate monuments were controversial, um, I, you, there are arguments to be had on both sides. I think that there are legitimately people who, um, who, who believe that these, these statues, especially the one at Ole Miss, I've seen the argument thrown around that it was um, in uh, memory of the students at Ole Miss at the time that died in the Civil War. I don't know the legitimacy of that. To be honest, I haven't researched how many students and all that. Um, and, and I, but I do uh, get the idea of of having a, a memorial for people who who died um, during the Civil War. The majority of the people that fought were not slave owners. They weren't. Most of them were sharecroppers. There were rules during the Civil War that plantation owners by the size of how many slaves they owned, had exemptions from their children from actually having to fight in the Civil War. So, you know, we would have to get down to what was the Civil War fought over? I think that anybody who says it wasn't over slavery at all, and there, this will be where I'll have people that completely disagree with me, anybody who says it wasn't over slavery at all, there are documents out there from Mississippi secession from the Union saying that it was over slavery. Uh, the entire Confederacy, I don't think, ever said that it was over slavery, but Mississippi's individual secession from the Union has do been documented in places to say it was over slavery. So obviously there's going to be some controversial thought in, you know, to. In, in correlation with the Confederate flag and Confederate monuments and Confederate generals and, and these types of things. Um, but there were a lot of people that died that had nothing to do with that. Um, it's also often compared to Nazis, okay? You have Nazis that so we can't sell, there's no statues in Germany celebrating Nazis. Um, uh, there, there is a certain degree of um, responsibility that a person takes upon themselves as to what they're fighting for when, when their fight turns into um, ordering and the killing of an extermination of an actual race, which is what happened in Nazi Germany. The people that were fighting in the Confederacy were being told that they're fighting for the sanctity of their way of life, which I don't think was always explained to them as being for slavery. So I think that there, it is an insult to a lot of people that died in the Civil War and a lot of their families. Personally, it's hard for me to have a correlate, like a, a, an emotional response to it. I don't know any of my family that had that happen. Um, but if you were a young sharecropping uh, family and you were a woman with two kids and your husband went away to the Civil War and died, um, you did have a huge uphill battle there, much like uh, the family member uh, of, uh, of slaves who had to face an uphill battle of evolving, you know, over time, you know, through, through the, the Civil Rights Movement and, and, and long before that, um, you know, but there was an uphill battle that came from some of the loss in the Civil War to families who did not necessarily support slavery but had to be involved in the war because they were 
drafted into the Confederacy and told what they were fighting for. And, uh, and, and I think a lot of them figured out it was about slavery and actually tried their best to rebel against the idea because they didn't own any slaves. They didn't care about that at all. So it's a, it's a, a touchy thing because I think there are v- extreme victims on both sides. Um, and, if, uh, and if I had been brought up as an African-American my whole life having to go through the things that they had to go through on terms of being, you know, equality, um, and still probably go through in in the job market and being hired and, and uh, things like that. I would also have that resentment towards the, the idea of the Confederacy because it would symbolize that period of time. So that's my that would be my, my response on the uh, the overall concept is it's very divisive, and I think that you know someone who who intellectually on both sides can sit down and say, this is why I find this divisive and this is why I find it divisive from the other side, to talk to it and, and talk about it and take emotion. I hate to say take emotion. Some of them say you can't take emotion out of it, but if they could just talk it out, I think both people could come to... But now we have Facebook and we have these mediums that allow you to blatantly state one opinion without having to argue it or, or understand the other person's opposing side, and uh, so it becomes this extremely divisive issue. Um, the university doing this. Well, the other thing of note here for me, from my point of view, this seems like kind of a weird, weak compromise if you really and truly are against what you believe the monument stands for. We're going to take it down and just put it over there instead. Is this just like a uh, an act of pacification at Ole Miss? Well, and this kind of gets into me of the university safe zone uh, argument. You know, I think that I think colleges and just youth in general are being bred to be this extremely um, sensitive uh, group of people. I don't think that's I don't think that's a lie at all. I, at 18 years old, I joined the Marine Corps, and I by the time I was 19. I was in Iraq, uh, and 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 even in my generation, you had some of the weak, the, this weakening down big time. It's been happening for a long time, but now it's like college has gotten so much of just like this frilly, uh, like repulsive festival of uh, emotions and ideas and arts that it's it's it's. Uh, it, it makes somebody like me, who can afford to send my kids to college, want them to do something else. I mean, I don't, I don't want them to do it. I, uh, I mean, hey, I can say, okay, I'll save this money up and all that university money you were talking about. Let's say it's going to cost us two hundred grand to send you there for four years. How about this? You come work for me, or you get a job, and at the end of a few years of that job will give you this money to start a business in that industry or whatever industry you want to be in. I mean, $200,000 in startup money and zero debt at 21 or 22 after you've worked a little while in the workforce is a hell of a lot more valuable than a college degree now. I mean, unless you're going to be a doctor. You know, they think they're making important decisions about this monument, and really they're talking about, we've got to take it and move it somewhere else so we can keep this safe space. What safe space? Why should college be a safe space? College should be a tumultuous, uh, like, environment for, like, rigorous learning and uh, passing of ideas. 
And, and also, you know, maybe college should be less about um, sorting out your emotions and more about learning a trade or a skill that's going to actually pay off in the, you know, the world. Because if you debated politics for four years and then you got a piece of paper, how does that prepare you? to reinvest your $200,000 you just spent into the workforce. <laughs> Guys, I hope you enjoyed this first episode of For Those About to Brock. We'll do it again next week. If you've got feedback, you can send it my way. I'm usrynetwork at gmail.com. Or chat me up on the Twitter or the Instagram. Those are both at JL Usri. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon.